Hi everybody, this is episode 36 of the Get In My Garden podcast, and in this episode we meet Matt Latigard, a market gardener, entrepreneur, and marketeer, founder of Groundstone Farm in Powaki, New Mexico, just north of Santa Fe, where he sells retail at the Santa Fe Farmer's Market and wholesale via Squash Blossom, Local Food, and La Montanita Coa. He went to school for sustainable agriculture and has worked at several farms around the country over the last decade. We cover what it's like to be a market farmer, an overview of the thriving Santa Fe farmer's market community, how he leased a small piece of prime farmland for almost nothing to start his market farm business, what the new generation of farmers are doing now to launch successful farmer's market businesses, how to market the highest quality local food and not compete on price in a world of easily available cheap foods. He's a super cool guy. Catch him at the Santa Fe Farmer's Market on Saturday and Tuesday or reach out to him via Facebook. There are a few ways you can support the podcast. Please share your favorite episodes on social media and within relevant groups. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or elsewhere and leave positive reviews. And now, this is the first episode where there will be another way to support indie shows like the Get In My Garden podcast via a new platform called What Pods where podcast aficionados can vote on podcasts for content and quality and help promote them to other listeners. Please have a visit and vote for the show there, too. Hope you enjoy our chat. I actually moved here only three years ago. I was living in um, California at the time. I started up a little market garden there, but due to circumstances of like you know land prices and whatever, was moving back home to Kansas City, and I drove through Santa Fe. And I'm really into farming, but also seeds and mm-hmm. land races and just kind of the old varieties um, just really fell in love with like the chili culture and I found an amazing blue corn out here I was giving some seeds and so it kind of just stuck in my mind and then I was looking for a place to live and I just chose Santa Fe just kind of for the culture and it's one of the places where you know indigenous farming practices are are still practiced and um, it's just really intriguing cool so near market farmer that's how you yeah how did is that what you plan to do? Come well, I came here um, with the job. Oh, okay. Um, on uh, another farm, Green uh-huh. Tractor Farm in La Cienega. I had a job, and I worked with them for two years. Like I said, I'd previously started a small market garden, and then I'd work for farms and. You know, I worked for a big 15-acre farm in Washington State. I worked for farms in Missouri. I'd worked for farms in California. After being for here for like a year or two, I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to keep working for farms. I don't really know what else I do with my life in terms of, you know, just skill sets and things uh-huh. like that. And I really enjoy farming and being outside and direct marketing, really good, nutritious food to people. And cool. Santa Fe has a really good market and, uh-huh. uh, and a really good farmer's market. And where else can you um, farm, let's say, 30 minutes outside of a city that has, like, I don't know the number, but hundreds of, you know, world-acclaimed restaurants. Oh, absolutely. So what, how do you, how's your arrangement over there? Do you have your own land? So, so I'm a, I lease land and okay. I live in Santa Fe uh-huh. currently. So lease land, I commute farm and it's essentially free. I mean, I paid a few hundred bucks for a five year lease um, and it's raw land. It's raw off grid land. There's no electricity. There's a solar well pump that I installed. That's it. It's on an acequia. So the people, did they just want you to use the land? That's just yeah, the main so priority? Yeah, so how it works up in that valley, from Tosuke all the way up to like Española, they just reached an Amont settlement that was uh, really, really complicated and really long. It was a lawsuit that was in courts for like 40 years. Finally passed last year. Mm-hmm. So it means that anyone who has water, land and water rights and doesn't use them, I think it's 
within five years. They don't use them once every five years or okay. three years, I think it is. Then they essentially are at risk of losing their water rights. So the person I'm leasing land from, they just want to keep their water rights and the land hasn't been used in like 20 years. So it's just a good arrangement on both ends. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Adrian, she was yeah, talking I, about that. Did you hear her episode? I did. So I guess that's a positive thing for people, I guess for the land. Because it's a positive will... thing for farmers because it's relatively, it can be relatively easy to just lease some raw land and mm-hmm. make a go of it here as a market gardener here because the markets and you know raw land and all that. And to buy land is extremely expensive here, you know, per acre. I think it's a hundred going raise a hundred thousand per acre. Amazing, it's so expensive. Yeah. So how does that work? I mean, uh, <laughs> is that what most people are doing over there? They're just renting land, like um, people at the market. When I think of it, most of the small farm—I mean, young farmers and small farmers—are leasing land. That I, yep, pretty much that I can think of. The young farmers, uh-huh. kind of like whether that's young 20s and 30s are kind of just getting into it young farmer or leasing land gotcha yeah well the farmer's market in santa fe i mean this it's a beautiful spot it seems really busy it yeah. seems like a good business yeah point but like i mean it's it's very affluent so are it people is. are you catering to those people or are you just making what is your market yeah i mean fortunately and unfortunately um it's a good market which means that there's good prices mm-hmm. and um my market tends to be, you know, more affluent, older people who live in Santa Fe. Not older, but, you know, um, you know, on the higher end of the age spectrum. And then there are also, like, you know, some, some cool, hip young people that love supporting young farms and just vibe with I'm doing. And so those are kind of my people. And um, also there, like, I, last year was my first year going to the market yeah and it was awesome how quickly i got a base of loyal customers that's so Um, great so there's like you know a handful or a couple handfuls of people that were super loyal and really appreciated my produce Mm -hmm. and came every week those are people who just care about good food have the money and want to spend it on good food and it's also not like extremely expensive. I mean, right. three dollars for a bunch of carrots is like you know maybe you're paying two fifty at Whole Foods, and it comes from California, and they're yeah, not sweet. Yeah, it's a sweet. big difference to get it yeah. fresh. Yeah, and I also don't want to ever compete with cheap food. I mean, we have an abundance of cheap food in this country, mm-hmm. and we're at this point where you can even buy good organic cheap food. But that's not my market. My market is really high quality stuff that. You know, I touched every seed and I touched every vegetable. I'm bringing really good quality and I want to, I need to be able to be compensated for that just to make a livelihood for it, about it. I mean, we have a huge supply of food in this country and a network to get it around to people. But I mean, right now they're talking about the fact that there's pesticides on everything. So there might be a movement back. I mean, obviously there is a movement back yeah. to local food, but maybe it's going to be a huge movement. What would happen if, or if there was some situation that required us to eat locally, how much land do we have that could, I mean, do we have people working the land? Could it actually To, to support the, Santa Fe, the city of Santa yeah, Fe, you think? Yeah. Um, probably not. Probably not, right? Yeah, I mean, what is cool about the Santa Fe farmer's market is that there is, you know, like I grow primarily greens and, okay. you know, I grow tomatoes and chili and I grow sweet peppers and cucumbers and those are technically fruits, but I grow, mm-hmm. you know, a lots, lots of greens and vegetables. But the farmer's market is great because there are people selling beans. There are people selling corn. There's people selling chili, even though it's not really calorically mm-hmm. that, that big. It's, you know, it's the spice of life. And so the market, you know, you can get 
a good balanced diet there, but I don't think there's enough food being produced in northern New Mexico to feed the population of Santa Fe. And, you know, I don't think people want to. I, I don't think most people eat, you know, tortillas and beans for breakfast and, you know, a salad for lunch and beans and tortillas for dinner again. <laughs> right. I heard a story on the radio once. It was, you know, I don't know who it was, but they were talking about how back in the Great Depression, Santa Fe was pretty well off in terms of we were pretty isolated from the rest of the economy and also culturally. Santa Fe didn't have a bad time. Like people had food. Farmers made money selling food and you know the food was consumed locally and people were still operating chuck farms on the outskirts of Santa Fe and Santa Fe was a pretty well-off place to be in the Great Depression. So if something like that did happen, I'm sure we could make it work at least at least maybe not just Santa Fe, but locally in terms of Española and Albuquerque, I think we can make it work. Mm -hmm. So your piece of land, well, actually, a lot of people I've talked to in Albuquerque, for instance, they're making a lot of money using, I mean, I say a lot of money, not compared to someone in like a big city, but like they're farming, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So the expectation is not that you're gonna make a lot of money necessarily, but some people are really smart about it and they're using a really small piece of land and marketing properly. And so what, what, what do most market gardeners or people who want to get in market gardening need to know? There's a kind of this, this kind of this culture that's popped up due to the internet and due to various things that kind of fight the stereotype that you can't make money fighting or Mm -hmm. you can't make money farming. But yeah, I think that you can make a decent living and you can support a family farming. I think you got to be really smart on your crop varieties. I think you got to know what your customers want and bring that without too many hiccups or hassles and just be efficient. So if you do you give it a lot of thought like are you thinking for next year are you going to do anything differently? Um, I'm not doing anything too differently but like I said I'd farmed for eight years before starting my own farm mm-hmm. so I kind of knew what I wanted to do and I am kind of doing the small scale market gardening kind of type of farming where I only farm on one acre. Um, it's me and a few part-time people but if if I was with somebody who was farming with me it could be two people full-time. Mm-hmm. That's amazing though I mean people I think who don't have any concept of farming yeah. they they don't realize that in their own backyard they could produce so much food. Absolutely, yeah. They could produce at least all the green vegetables for themselves in their backyard. But yeah, I, I don't know the poundage, but I produced a lot of food last year, and it was my first year, so there was obviously a lot of learning curves and and things like that, but you can really push it on, on an acre, and I think just being smart in, well, you kind of know, you need to know how to grow food in terms of I worked on other farms, I learned how to germinate crops right, I learned how to, you know, manage weeds, and it's also pretty intensive where, you know, I grow on a bed system. Let's say carrots, for example, I can grow four to eight lines on one bed where traditionally there would be, it would be rows. Mm -hmm. So there would Mm -hmm. be a row, a walkway, a row, and a walkway, a row, and a walkway. With a bed system, you're essentially fitting four of those, you know, rows with only two walkways. So it's much more intensive on the land. Um, I also use drip irrigation. So I get my water through an acequia, which is from the snow melt throughout the winter. And it's fed into a pond that I have on the property. And on that pond, I pump it out put it through a filter and it goes to the drip system really so you filter it is that because of the algae and stuff or because of the silt and the sediment 
that will ha that will be in the aseki water. Is it still active though in some way? Like, are there microbes in there? I'm not so sure about the microbes. I do use compost, so you know, I think that kind of takes care of the mm -hmm. microbe situation. And I use mycorrhizae in my plant starts. Oh, okay. So just to manage the water really uh, effectively is mm -hmm. important out here, especially for growing vegetables, where traditionally people would flood their fields out here. But uh, you can't. Um, you know, they would they would flood their fields and maybe get the water at best once a week or mm -hmm. once every, once every two weeks. And you just can't do that with lettuce. It'll die if it doesn't right. get watered for two weeks. Uh -huh. So the holding pond I have is really great. And then I can irrigate, uh, you know, for only 30 minutes every day or something like that. So cool. Yeah. The, the market garden idea, it's like a fantasy of many people. Yeah. And then, but they don't have it in them to like go out and work totally. you know, and plan and totally. do it right. Yeah. It's very daunting. Uh -huh. But and at least on Facebook, I see people who that's their, they're like moving away from the city and they're, they're going to start a farm, you know? It's almost this like a uh, digital version of um, the back to the land movement from the seventies. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, on Instagram it's, it can be so much more romanticized Totally. and it's, and I kind of have to like look away from it because it, they're beautiful pictures. Right. But of course with Instagram and social media, you're only seeing the best of it. Yeah. I think people just realize they need to do the work. Like it's not about, it is about, you know, I, I post really beautiful pictures for my marketing, but that's like, that's a marketing strategy in a way. I mean, it's also communicating with fellow farmers about, practices and stuff but you know you just you just got to do the work i'm out there seven days a week you know and i've never met a farmer who wasn't working harder than almost anyone else yeah and it's hard not to also like be proud of that or glorify that it's it's not good to always work i had a, i had you know two months in the winter where i didn't work and that was really good but um yeah i just like to i'd like to say that people can make a living growing food and selling it. And I think we just have to be clear that profit is the only way, in my opinion, that uh, you're gonna convince people to grow food um, for a living. Mm -hmm. You know, it's gotta be sustainable ecologically, which is a huge, huge important task right now, but you also have to be sustainable monetarily or else yeah. you're not gonna have farmers. You know, people can do it on, um, you know, because the pictures look beautiful and because it's idealistic. But, you know, if you're not making it, you're not going to be doing it long. Definitely. A lot of people don't realize that, I mean, you can say you don't like the market, but I mean, it's actually called a market because people right. are competing yeah. and it's trying to get something to you. So. Totally. And I need, yeah, and, and as the, the system that we're living, you know, I need to be rewarded with money you know, to just buy the seeds. You know, I save seeds, I save corn seeds, I save chili seeds, I save some lettuce seeds, but I could not possibly save the 35 different crops that I grow. Mm -hmm. And so I need to buy seeds, I need to pay rent, I need to, you know, save some money for savings account, and uh -huh. I need to buy groceries because I can't live off lettuce and carrots. <laughs> People try. Right now I'm kind of living off of, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's springtime, so. The money is the money's all going out. None has uh, come in yet. Not yet. Soon though, right? Very soon. So I'll be at market in um, hopefully mid-April. Okay. And I'll be coming with um, you know greens, arugula, spicy mix, lettuces, radishes, mm -hmm. um, turnips, and then soon after with carrots and beets and yeah the rest of the gamut. Do you ever worry that you're competing with crops that I mean the other people have them for sure, right? Because these are things that yeah. grow without too many problems here. Yeah. So is that a worry that you're gonna? have just a surplus of anything? I've planned, so I do a lot of planning in the winter, mm -hmm. 
a lot of Excel sheets oh, cool. um, just to make sure that what I produce comes on in the right amounts consistently mm-hmm. every week from April to November. And so I know that I won't be, you know, have no carrots until like July and then I'll have like, you know, 300 bunches of carrots and then no carrots again until November. Like I know that I'll have consistently X amount of carrots, for example, um, just because I've done that that work and that planning. I think that's really important for farmers to do. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to the marketplace, I just want to compete on quality. And I think it's really important to meet people look them in the eyes and develop a relationship because it's not just a it's not just a carrot i'm also trying to sell a story in a way that you know this is this is my work you know i love producing nutritious food and when you buy it from me i'm literally handing you the carrots that i grew and you're looking at the farmer so it's yeah i try and i mean it makes perfect sense to me you can't really People, it, it's like if you want to be local, you got to meet the farmer, right? Exactly, yeah. And so that's you're selling that. Most of the people there can give local, healthy food, but you have a connection. Yeah. I in Albuquerque was at the market, and I would see people who they clearly didn't have a plan. They weren't. They were just showing up with like a truckload of zucchinis <laughs> one week, and that was the week that everybody else had zucchinis. Right. So. Yeah, and you also try and plan that where you have like. You know, I can't necessarily grow tomatoes super early just because of my, you know, restrictions. I don't have heating on my property up, you know, raw off-grid land. But, you know, there are people that plan for that. They come, you know, early with tomatoes when nobody else has them. Yeah. And they'll take a break when everyone has the tomatoes and then maybe come a little later in the fall when mm-hmm. people's tomatoes have dropped off. So I think that's a smart strategy. But you're not need- needing to do that at this point, right? Well, just the my restrictions of the land, like... My irrigation water only comes beginning of March, and really to get early tomatoes, you need to have them in the ground early March. I don't live out there, so I can't baby anything too much. Are you using hoop houses? Yeah, so I have two, they're called caterpillar tunnels. Um, So they're pretty cheap um, and easy to put up. So they're affordable houses, but they're not, there's no doors, there's just kind of pull up sides. So it's essentially just metal hoops with a, with plastic on it, with rope holding it down. I have two of those. They're each 100 feet long, 14 feet wide. So I have those, and then I utilize, um, you know, floating row covers, um, mainly in the late spring and early summer when, like, flea beetles come on. Oh, okay. And, and pests like that where, you know, I don't use any sprays or or chemicals like that so i just have a physical barrier from the bugs Mm -hmm. and it also helps in the hot part of the summer to keep the moisture in i utilize floating row cover a lot cool and then reuse it so can you speak to the problems a little bit because that is probably i'm sure anybody who's starting out and you have a degree right so you're you probably yeah. thought all this through. You have 10 years of experience, but somebody who, well, any, it could happen to anybody. Something bad could happen with like insects or. Yeah, or, or you know, a hailstorm. You know, like, a, you know, you can get a hailstorm in June, right? When you kind of like take everything out from the protection and then a hailstorm comes, it gets everything you got. Yeah. Um, so that's just some of the things that will happen. I mean, that's just farming. Um, People complain about weather, and farmers have always complained about weather. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I'm crossing my fingers. You know, hope will never happen, but it happens. But yeah, pests. Uh, I have some strategies to help with pests. And you know, last year the major problem was the drought. My um, my Odomo said it was the biggest drought he's ever seen in his life, and he's wow. 
60 years old. So that was my first year farming. So figure if I could get through that, it would be easier. <laughs> it's amazing to watch the, the natural balance though. I mean, cause here we are, we have this year of rain, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Well, it's a little bit disconcerting that, you know, this is also the wettest year in 20, 30 years. So you have the driest to the wettest in just two years in a row. But it's just, I guess it's just about being resilient and taking opportunities when they come. So mm -hmm. last year, there's a few things I didn't do just, or I had to pull crops. I had to turn off the irrigation just because they wouldn't make me enough money. And so I had to weigh my, weigh my risk. I only have this much water. What can I put it towards? So there's some crops I had to pull out. But this year, I'm kind of going to go full on and grow a lot of seed corn. I'm going to grow, you know, just some experiments, seed experiments, and just kind of because I have the water uh -huh. and I'm a little bit more resourced in my second year. So um, kind of taking the opportunity in a big abundant year with a lot of moisture to grow some things. And then, you know, who knows, maybe next year will be a huge drought and I won't have that opportunity, but I'll be sitting on a lot of seed. So what, what varieties, is there anything that you discovered, like heirloom varieties that you have grown or want to grow to market? If it looks the same, if, you, if it is different, they'll be happy to buy it, but they love something that's different looking too. Yeah, I try and... I try and um, kind of come with, with interesting interesting stuff. You know, maybe you got to balance familiar with interesting. So, you know, they're, I'm really kind of on the purple, the purple kick right now. Um, I'm growing a snow pea that's totally purple that holds its purple after cooking that I'm excited about. Um, I'm growing a pink celery that I haven't grown before, so we'll see what happens with that. So it's that balance of familiar and interesting. So are you going to save seeds on all these varieties? Probably I might do the snow peas uh -huh. um, because they go to seed fairly quickly. I probably won't mess with the celery. I think we have a little too hot and dry climate to save seed from celery. Let's see what else. Like a blue corn. There's a blue corn from the Poake Pueblo, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, I'm the first private property right after the Poake Pueblo. I got some blue corn from them and I'm growing that, growing that out and I save seed for that. I don't necessarily sell it, uh, at least right now. I'm kind of growing out seed to make sure I have enough and, and eating you know eating some at home for myself, but not quite selling it yet. And let's see what else. Last year I tried an, a purple Napa cabbage. Cool. Um, didn't quite work out as well as I had hoped. It, it didn't really head up as good as a green one. Uh -huh. So yeah, those are some things that I like to try that are interesting. If there are secrets, don't tell them. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, st I still have some secrets in my, up my sleeve. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me directly via Facebook or by email to Aaron at getinmygarden.com to share ideas and feedback. I love hearing from people. Also, there are a few ways you can support the podcast. Please share your favorite episodes on social media and within relevant groups. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or elsewhere and leave positive reviews. And now another way to support the show, as I mentioned, is via the new podcast platform called What Pods, where podcast aficionados can vote on podcasts for content and quality and help promote them to other listeners. Check it out. Thanks a lot.